With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey gang, quick bit of housekeeping for you before we start the show. And this is only relevant to those of you who listen to us on the Apple Podcast app or via Apple. So if you don't move along, as the great Obi-Wan Kenobi would say, nothing to see here. But if you do listen to us via Apple, listen carefully, particularly if you're an old school listener of the show. Before we became the Nat Coombs show on ESPN, when we were the NFL show, you would have got the show updated when we moved without having to do a thing. But that's because the old show had a divert put on it. So to check, you'll subscribe to the new feed because the old one is going to go pretty soon. Check out the Nat Coombs show. Search for it on the app via the podcast browse section or the store section if you're looking on the desktop and find our show and see if it shows whether you're subscribed or not. If you are, great, you're on the right feed. If you're not, hit subscribe and delete the old one. So head on over, not in your library, but actually onto Apple. Search the Nat Coombs show. Make sure you're subscribed to the feed that you find. Simple. Good luck. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombs Show on ESPN. Now we've promised you some extra episodes throughout the spring, throughout the lockdown, and we have one for you right now. Ollie Connolly, who many of you will know, of course, NFL writer for The Guardian, amongst others, has written a terrific piece about Michael Vick. And we thought, well, let's get him on to talk about it. Incidentally, if you're interested in Vick, head on over to ESPN Player. There is a two-part 30 for 30 documentary all about him. Of course, the 30 for 30 series, terrific. And ESPN player carries all of them, including the Michael Vick. So go and check that out over on ESPN player. Right, let's get straight down to it and check in with Ollie Connolly. Ollie, great to have you on the show. Uh, great to be here. So we're going to talk about your brilliant piece on Michael Vick, which I think posed a lot of really interesting questions. We'll get to that in a bit. But before we do, you've been writing for The Guardian for a fair bit so seeing as it is your debut on the show mm-hmm. i want to understand where your love of the nfl when it started where it came from uh, and on a professional basis how long you've been writing for them and, and some of the other stuff you do so let's start at the beginning mm-hmm. when did you first discover the game oh wow years and years ago my dad used to what i think in hindsight is a wonderful parenting strategy calling <laughs> taking your son on the road throwing some sports illustrateds at him and then leaving for work <laughs> genius i love it i like you better and, and then i would just carve through them all all the time my first love at that point was baseball and the boston red sox um, right. and then one time on a cover they had this great cover story of a quarterback um at a high school in florida nice high school i remember that um who played the game uh finished the game with a broken leg and scored a winning touchdown and i was like <laughs> this is the craziest thing i've ever seen in my life and that quarterback turned out to be tim tebow Wow. Okay. So that now I'm getting the the era as well. I'm feeling very old at the same time. So it's it's interesting. In Sports Illustrated, it came up the other day. Actually, briefly, we had Stig Abel on Mm -hmm. uh, a pod uh, recently, and we were talking about sports, American sports writing, and and in particular, uh, in particular, 
books, but obviously we drifted into journalism. And one of the things we recommended was the Halberstam uh, collection. He edited the collection, the best sports writing of the century. And, and we got onto Sports Illustrated, obviously, as a result. And it is, irrespective of the, the, the times we're living in right now, it's a difficult time for, for publications like Sports Illustrated that, same with me, so seminal, so important mm-hmm. in, in my formative years and, and, and now. And there's nothing better, I think, than going into Smiths and or try, even try to find a news agent that still still stocks it. But it, it's challenging times, isn't it? As a journalist, for, you know, for titles like Sports Illustrated, because of primarily, I guess, the digitization of everything, they're a dying breed, aren't they? Yeah, it's not just the digitization, it's the management at the top of those publications, mm. and they just become these soulless... There's, 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 we're living in our time where there's not enough fearlessness in the writing anymore. You go back through the archives of Sports Illustrated, the best pieces are the most fearless ones. Mm. They just almost do not care. Um, there was not schmoozing with the players, there was less agent involvement, all that kind of stuff, and there was more of a detachment because we're so close to these athletes now on a day-to-day basis. Um, and scared to offend, you mean? Is that absolutely, because yeah, I'm not even sure if it was offence more so than they were, because they had almost the bully pulpit, so they they were going into the locker room almost as equals at that time, um, mm. and you just don't have that. It's so, I mean, you can't write a piece about LeBron now without getting it back from him. If you were at Sports Illustrated and you wrote a massive piece on LeBron, you would have to negotiate with his camp to get any kind of access or you wouldn't get a morsel. And then if it was bad, you would never speak to him ever again. And you can't yeah. have to have those titles anymore. I remember early on in my career, uh, one of the first kind of major things I did, I won't name it or say what it was, but I was presenting wise, I was doing a show. It was the very first episode of that show and we were rehearsing and I'd written a piece that uh, kind of link into a package and it had a pretty I think not particularly offensive but better say it had a gag about a certain player and it certainly yeah. wasn't anything anything <laughs> too contentious right but it was a pop at a player mm-hmm. um, playful I think it was if we would describe it as and went to, in rehearsals to cut to this piece and while this the VT was running we were rehearsing in my ear uh, my producer said uh, nah, yeah we're gonna have to change that link and this is my very first show. <laughs> so I just kind of nodded and went, well, okay, sure. And then we changed it. And at the end of recording, I said, just out of interest, why did I have to change that, that link? And he said, ah, I'll come over here. And he said, the player you were talking about, he played for Man City at the time. Um, we have got a whole lot of interviews lined up with City. And if that went out, oh, it wow. would be cut. And it was like, okay, that was my first <laughs> awakening to this is not, <laughs> this is not <laughs> as straightforward as it should be. And there are a huge amount of politics involved. So yeah, I, I take, I take your point. I hear that. So, so sports illustrated formative mm-hmm. years, really, um, really. So I guess f- falling in love with the sports, but also that was that when you thought this is what, uh, where you realized I wanted to be a writer. Was that, it was that starting to formulate? Well, I was kind of a strange kid. I was um, I was good at sports, pretty good at, at like a county level of things, cricket, football, and what have you. But I always just wanted to write. I ran my own newspaper in a Microsoft Word document every day. Wow! I had wow. I had a cover story. I had my own column. I was very excited about that. I, so I had like a news story and a back page and I would go in and I would put the, the picture in and then on the inside, I would write my own daily column and it would be football, cricket, baseball, it would be anything. So from the age I can remember, that is what I wanted to do. And I always remember, and I am very ashamed of this right now, I always wanted to be on Sunday Supplement rather than like playing <laughs> in Super Sunday after Sunday Supplement. I wanted to be on Sunday Supplement. That was like my dream to be sat next to Martin Samuels and just Love setting it. up the shop. 
Love it. Well, that dream could still be alive. I hope, <laughs> I hope, have you made your Sunday supplement debut yet? Or? Not yet. No, no, but okay. I have been around those guys and that, that is a, a pinch yourself moment. Like, wow, this is all I ever wanted. And uh, it is not all that's cracked up to me. <laughs> well, it's led you to well, the Guardian is where most of our listeners will, will know you from, of course, in your writing. And you've been writing for them for, for a good couple of years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that is more sports and culture, which is uh, a departure for me, really. Most of my stuff has been nerdy, schematic things, scouting. That's been most of my career. And then to go over there and write about the intersection of sports and culture, where you get the things like a Michael Vick and uh, the politics of basketball, baseball. It's a, it's a bit of a departure for me, but it's, it's awfully invigorating. What advice would you give to young writers specifically listening to our show? Well, actually, let's scratch the young writers out there, mm-hmm. aspiring writers that, that want to continue to, to do it if they've, they've started and, and professionalize it if they haven't been able to yet. What advice would you give to, to be able, given what we just said about the changing dynamic of journalism and, uh, and the, I guess the saturation in the market that mm-hmm. one of those fundamental aspects, I guess, of this, ability for anybody to be able to so let's take you as a kid in your Mm -hmm. word doc you know you i don't know again trying to sort of date this maybe you did publish it but certainly now you could right straight away you could publish that um and and draw readers and draw followers Mm -hmm. straight away and that is wonderful in the sense that you whether it's writing whether it's a podcast video whatever it is you can build a following uh, straight away you have an access to a market but the flip side of that of course is that there is so much competition now and it's very difficult to get heard so what advice would you give to to writers out there that want to follow in your footsteps the biggest thing is just to do it is just to write and read I, the, the big thing i see now i get so many people coming to my dms or emailing me saying hey can you can you help me out and stuff and i'll sit and i'll regularly do phone calls with people and try and help them out just email exchange back and forth and i often are stunned by how little they read it's writing mm. that they, they write which is excellent and i think if you want to be a writer you should wake up and try and write every day even if it's bad just do it bad for yourself in a word document do it on a mm. blog that no one's reading um i came up in the, the era of the blogosphere and i was just too nervous i was writing that newspaper to myself for um, a shameful amount of time <laughs> i didn't ever put it somewhere it was just me writing away every day in my word documents um and then eventually i, I put it onto a website so um you just have to do it and you have to write and i always had a rule coming up and i hate uh, evangelizing about like how my way is the way type thing um but i would always try and read at least three things to one thing i wrote whether it was an article a book or whatever mm. and one thing i used to do back in the day which is which is not a good idea but did somewhat help is i would take my favorite columnist was dan lebertard who does mm-hmm. the radio show for espn now sure. a sensational writer back in the day for the miami herald i would take his columns change the subject and try and write in his tempo Wow. Sound like a serial killer, I understand, but I would say. <laughs> well, that's so, fascinating because yeah. that's kind of like the, if you kind of appropriate that to, to comedy writing, you know, mm-hmm. that is very much the model, certainly in the States of how a lot of uh, the journey that a lot of sitcom writers mm-hmm. took where, I mean, to get an agent in the first place, they'd have to write a spec script. They'd have to write a, a script of an existing sitcom. Uh, to, to get attention, to get an agent to take them on before they could write or even sell any of their original work. So I guess that's a similar kind of process. Yeah, just kind of steal Seinfeld's voice and, and then offer it around. I was thinking Fraser in my head, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take it. Uh, yeah, I would, I would take it. And if Dan did uh, three words in a sentence, I would do three words in a sentence. And you learn over it. I'm like, well, I like that. I don't like that. And mm. you just have to read. And eventually, like they say, you find your own voice. Yeah, that's fascinating. Well, you certainly have. And, uh, you know, I, uh, really really enjoy your writing and 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 your style as well and the michael vick column that 
that you've written recently is something that I thought on, on so many levels was interesting. The uh, let's start with the, the the more straightforward and and the headline I guess demonstrates this. Should Michael Vick be in the in the Hall of Fame? And and that opens up, I guess, a, a duality uh, in terms of um, fundamental questions relating to this Michael Vick specifically, and then what attributes, what requirements are there for a player to make it into the Hall of Fame? And you pose the question because you say, look, you look at Michael Vick's career, which was um, disappointing, really, when you think about Mm -hmm. the ability that he had. You think about the lack of, you you mentioned this in the piece, the lack of individual and, and, and team success that he um, that, that he demonstrated throughout his career. Statistically, it doesn't really stack up. But nevertheless, he was undeniably uh, a, a game-changing style of quarterback. He was a quarterback that moved the position on, the m- most influential position in, in all of sports, it, I think it's, it's fair to say. And he was inspirational. And as you said in the piece, he was the kind of player that seasoned heavyweight defenders couldn't deal with they couldn't in his prime in his pomp they just couldn't handle so let's let's start with with that the hall of fame element to to, to michael vick do you think that there is an argument to say that statistics and success rings in particular should be shouldn't be the complete story here because it seems to be most of the time in the hall of fame that it should and that there should be an element of uh intangibles there should be aspects of what a player has stood for and, and the kind of player, the impact that a player has had on uh, on a generation and, and on his contemporaries that should be given equal footing to black and white numbers? I think so. I, I think if we're just doing an exercise in uh, statistics and it's like this guy won two rings and this guy had X number of rushing yards and he hung on at the tail end for three years to get to a certain total. So we give him a gold jacket. It's kind of like, well, what are we doing with that exercise? <laughs> Shouldn't we just pull up a spreadsheet then and go, that guy was pretty good. Um, if, if the, the idea is to have it as a museum or as this kind of, um, physical place where you can go and study the history of the game. And, and most of it is, is in the air. It's in the atmosphere. No one actually goes to Canton outside of the guys with the gold jackets, right? <laughs> right. But it is, it is this, this notion, this moniker, and it does have real value. You go and look at all the pre-games and post-games and mid, <laughs> mid-show games, and all of those guys have gold jackets. And if they don't, the big punchline is that the one guy doesn't have the gold jacket. Sure. Um, so, so it matters. Um, and I think that you should be trying to tell the story of the game, that we should have the, the kickers who kicked without, uh, shoes. Those guys should be in there. They, these are wild stories that the map the and chronicle the history of the game. Um, and Vic is probably the most controversial candidate on that. Um, and it gets down to should you have a morality clause? How does that stuff factor in? Do you do on the field, off the field? Well, if we're not doing stats anymore, then surely the off the field does come into it some more. Um, do you want to tell the story of that side of the game? Well, then do you want to sugarcoat it? So it's this awfully nuanced thing that's hard to dig down into. Well, and that's probably that, the most fascinating character. On that, that, let's let's look at morality then, because obviously, irrespective of the the pl- the playing component, the character component with Vic, as you say, is is undeniably challenging. Right when you're <laughs> evaluating him. Uh, I, 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 but it opens up the question: How important is that when you're evaluating the the significance of a, of a career? And, and the Hall of Fame, I guess, adds adds a different nuance to that. So let's 
let's apply that. Should a player's character and what they do off the field have any bearing on whether they make the Hall of Fame? I think I personally separate the art from the artist, but I'm not strident. If it's a certain thing, then yes, I will change my mind. I've never in my life brought into the concept of the slippery slope. I find that hilarious. I think, well, you can just stop. You can just say, well, this thing will take on a case-by-case basis. And if you brought in a morality clause, you would have to look at, well, someone like O.J. Simpson, well, he's found guilty in a civil suit, but he's not found guilty criminally. So if we just put down a set bar that it's criminal cases, then we can't have him in. Well, then what if some guy gets caught with something in one era, but then that doesn't become a legal issue in future eras? Mm. So it, it is really, really hard. The thing with Vic is that it is such a heinous crime that he's... Um, pled guilty to the it it throws it into this hole of the stratosphere um if it was if it was as simple as 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 awful as that sounds an oj and aaron hernandez someone along those lines it, it does become more black and white the michael vick situation is so so difficult and i don't have the answer in my own head i just trying to think through these things my editors go crazy at me it's like well what's the answer i'm like i don't know I don't know the answer. Let's just discuss it because it's fascinating to me. You cannot tell the story of the NFL without Michael Vick. And yet I think it's appropriate that if you were having this, you know, the, the scene would be the, the mom or the dad taking the son or daughter around Canton, right, to show them this is the history of the game. This is the lineage. The fact that he's not in is in and of itself the perfect lesson, I think. Yeah, and that was your conclusion, which I thought was, mm-hmm. which I thought was brilliant. The, but on the, just on the aspect of rehabilitation, which mm-hmm. America loves a, uh, and in fact, Vic was, uh, you know, a, a comeback player of the year, right? Mm-hmm. You know, when he, yeah. when he, he came back and played for Philly, he was a comeback player of the year. And that, that in itself is quite an ambiguous award, right? Does it, is it based on, yeah. you know, uh, coming back from an injury? Is it coming back from poor performance? Is it coming back from something in, in Vic's case, quite probably uh, an absence from the game that was self-inflicted and returning to, if not identical, then similar levels of performance on the field. And Mm -hmm. that acknowledgement, I guess, or that award acknowledged a significant step in terms of his rehabilitation, didn't it? So, and America loves, loves a a story, uh, whether it, removing it out of the world of sport, you look at showbiz uh, and entertainment, Uh, America likes to take somebody who has fallen on bad times, often self-inflicted and, enables them to come back and uh, uh, to be forgiven. Now, to your point on the crime specifically and, and how heinous it was, and, and again, I'm sure all of our listeners know this, but in case there are any that don't, and maybe for whatever reason didn't um, didn't follow the game at the time and don't know a huge amount about Vic, he was uh, found guilty of being involved with competitive dog fighting, where dogs were fighting to the death, and he was enabling this um, quite a you know a key protagonist in this right and he is uh, to his credit he has all never denied it he's held his hands up uh, to accept the severity of the crime and how morally reprehensible it is and he has worked pretty much ever since he was uh, he, he was involved with it to rehabilitate his his character and and to try and address the, that specific area uh, and, and that specific, which he, at the time there, we cited a lot of cultural mm-hmm. uh, reasons for it as well, which is uh, which is uh, not to be dismissed when we consider all of this. But he is 
gone for many years on and followed a path of, um, if not out and out virtue, then certainly he's a much stronger uh, character over a, a sustained period of time. So is that an element when you think about it? You're looking at the Hall of Fame and, and the reason you write the piece is because his eligibility uh, is now active, right? Is there an argument to say, Ollie, that you can't possibly condone what he did, but at the same time, you can applaud and reward his rehabilitation? I think you can you can look at it and say, I, I, one of the big things with him is that he served his time. And so then what are we as, as a society if he is continually punished for the crime he committed now also it's not a right to get elected to the hall of fame he got his freedom back that was what he served the time for and he got his job back eventually once he served the time and he is still a cultural phenomenon to a large portion of the population specifically to people of a video game age and something i didn't put in the piece i think is it's somewhat fascinating and could come into play maybe 10 or so years down the line is as the old guard ages out and what they deem to be the um, the criteria for the Hall of Fame, and basically the video game era of Madden ages into the Hall of Fame block. What impact will that have on someone like a Vic? And the people like, you see Lamar Jackson and guys of that ilk, when they are aging into a category where they'll say, well, our pioneer was, we know about Randall Cunningham, but for us, it was Michael Vick. That will be a fascinating thing. And I think as we get further removed from it, that yes, there'll be more of a focus on him as this kind of pioneering figure, what he meant culturally and societally for Atlanta and then for the African-American community as well. Um, and maybe less of a focus. That stuff will always be there. It has to be. It is almost the key thing that comes up with him. But from a football perspective, um, I think as that old, guard ages out he gets more of a chance well a really great point you make in terms of the the cultural significance uh, not just generational but point taken on that as well but the the impact that he had and you mentioned Randall Cunningham and that that is a great example Vic was obviously not the first black quarterback in the NFL and there have been players Cunningham in particular whose style Vic mirrored but Vic it can be argued, and statistically, it is, is born out. He, I think he rushed for almost twice as many yards as Cunningham or thereabouts. So he was he took that aspect, I think, to the to the next level. And he was a player, as you say, that was in Atlanta. You talk about this in the piece during a real boom time for hip hop in Atlanta, and and Vic became a a figure that a figure of optimism and hope and uh, an aspiration for, for so many young black Americans. And that surely that aspect needs to be factored in when you're looking and your point about Vic being a fundamental part in terms of the evolution of the game and the story of the game is, is quite clearly defined by what he did on the field, but again, off the field and what he stood for, that should surely be, a key component of whether somebody is selected into Canton or not. Yeah, he, he's he is also a key figure in the black story in America. If you look at that time period in sports, you have the NBA instituting a dress code, right? You have Allen Iverson and um, hip hop aligning with um, basketball as it always kind of has done. And then the NBA trying to stamp it out 
basically. Whilst you have the most conservative sport in America, the NFL, you have this guy who is from Atlanta, well, is from Virginia, is playing in Atlanta, aligns himself wholeheartedly with the exploding um, hip-hop scene there. And yeah, he has a no-bleeps attitude, and people love that. And it's not just people in Atlanta. It is a whole generation of people and a subsect of people who just fall for it. And you get the awful now moral dilemma for them, right? Which is like, this guy is so meaningful to us for what he represented. And he did this thing, but then he's also getting lambasted for that. And does that have a racial element? Is there a racial element to that? But then he did do the awful things. So he is one of the most fascinating divisive figures in just American society and history, let alone like the NFL (laughs) as the body. Why don't you think Vic lived up to his uh, his potential? Is it fair to say he didn't live up to his potential? I'm not talking about how many rings because there are so many different contributing factors there. And, uh, you know, the the obvious examples are Marino and Warren Moon. I think mm-hmm. you list actually in terms of the Hall of Fame quarterbacks that have been elected uh, since 2000. Um, almost all of them have been to at least one Super Bowl. But we understand the counter argument there of either the over importance placed on rings all of those who feel that Eli Manning shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame will, will point to that. The flip side of that is all of those who do think he should be in the Hall of Fame will, yeah. point, will point to the significance of rings. Vic didn't achieve any collective success, but on, a, on an individual level, was it the disruption and the time that it came? And there was an injury before that wasn't there. So it was the 2006 mm-hmm. season he was injured. Yeah. Then this all kicked off in the summer of 2007. So he was basically out of the game for four years or so, wasn't he? Would we be talking about a very different situation, irrespective of the 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 factor of the, the dogfighting, if they had played through most of those years and built up more and more numbers, whether or not he made it to a Super Bowl or not, would that make the on-the-field performance argument a little bit more straightforward? It would make it a little bit easier, but I, I'm not so sure. I mean, he came up in a time where just schematically it was not designed for him, right? And he had that early success, and then the Falcons went completely away from it. We saw uh, a little hint of what it could have been with with Chip Kelly for yeah. the, the the little time, and oh, wasn't that so tantalizing if we had had Michael Vick out of college in a pace and space system and all the spread option stuff that we're running these days, then that's what we would have had. But without Michael Vick, we may not have got to that evolution as fast as we did. Coaches all right. across the country going, well, why are they taking the best athlete and not doing this with him? If we're going to play the best athlete at quarterback, let's make him athletic. Let's do some athletic stuff. And so you get the boom in spread option principles, not because of Michael Vick, but he certainly helps speed up the evolution of, of the process. Um, so I think that it's more so just the time period he was in that kind of constricted him. And then by the time he gets to someone who can use some of his gifts, then he's kind of aged out of uh, aged out of his prime and we lost two of his prime years to obviously um, the dogfighting scandal as well. Um, yeah, I, I, the, the individual award stuff uh, and all that jazz, I, I, I think it's bigger than that. You know, I think it is about the evolution of the game. Do I think he was the best quarterback at any time in the NFL? No. Should people making the hall of fame have that against their name? Probably. Um, but I, I, I just think that his cases should be on a, on a higher level than that. And as evidenced by, we put this out, we, we, we tweeted your article out and asked some of our followers on Twitter what they, they thought about it. And unsurprisingly, divided opinion. I mean, I think your conclusion is that the most appropriate end note here is, well, I'll, I'll quote you directly, his absence from the Hall of Fame will speak more appropriately to his career 
than his induction ever would, which uh, is, is a beautiful way of putting it. And I think that tended to be the response from, from our listeners who, who responded on Twitter that the, I think everybody understands that the flaws in Vic, both on the field and, and then certainly off. And, but it raises such a, such an important number of questions in terms of what makes a player eligible. And I wonder your point on generational change, whether we will start to see in 20, 30 years, maybe sooner, a shift in the kind of players that are inducted into the Hall of Fame and then the reasons why they're inducted or whether it will, will remain as we started this conversation based primarily on the stats, the numbers and the ultimate success, both, both individually and, and collectively. Uh, it is an interesting, interesting subject. Ollie, thanks for joining us. What have you got next? What are you up to, you know, during these difficult times, I guess we've got, um, you've got to get quite inventive with your writing at the moment. <laughs> at the moment. Uh, yeah. Well, the NFL is, is pushing along. We have the draft and, and all sorts of stuff. The NFL just seems to say we are immune from this. So we'll just keep going. What's your hunch on the season starting on time? Oh, um, if anyone can make that happen in any walk of life, it is 32 NFL owners. Yeah, yes, right. <laughs> 31 of the Packers, yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, no one matches that level of collective arrogance, so they will just find a way to do it. It'll get, it'll get that there's too much money riding on it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's been really good to chat to you. Thanks for, thanks for dropping by, and, and I hope you come back soon. Yes, thanks for having me on. Very much enjoyed the chat with Ollie. He's a great writer. Head on over to The Guardian to read all his NFL stylings and we will push out a link to the Michael Vick piece and we'll definitely be checking in with Ollie before too long. Also, as I said at the top of the show, ESPN Player is where you can watch the Michael Vick 30 for 30 documentary. It's in two parts. Head on over to Player and go and enjoy. Right, we're back Friday. Iron Mike in the house for more NFL news and updates. Podcast Network.